this episode of the Horror Basement could be brought by you. If you'd like to advertise on the Horror Basement podcast for a small fee, get in contact with us at TennesseeHorrorNews at gmail.com. Check out Nightmare Toys for all your horror collectible needs at NightmareToys.com. Hi, I'm Bill Mosley, and you're in the Horror Basement with Jim Jam and Johnny Leroy. <laughs> Lick my plate, you dog dick. Welcome to the Horror Basement, the Tennessee Horror News Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Johnny Leroy. And always, we got Jim Jam here with us. Jim Jam here. What's up, guys? So, with Jim Jam's vacation and all, we're going to do a throwback episode here. But we do have some news. Uh, Funko is making a cereal. Yep. So we'll that's pretty some, cool. Got some horror-themed some, uh, cereal. Yeah, and I was reading up on that, and it's like the Freddy Krueger cereal turns your milk red, like blood, wow. and the Beetlejuice cereal turns it green, like slime. So, that's pretty cool. You know, there's a little news there for you. Yep. Hell yeah. And um, Christy from Nightmares Toys said that she will be selling it, too. So. Oh, hell, really? Because yes. it was like seven ninety nine a box, I think. It's going to stores. I was like, I wonder if it'd go like to Walmart, like stores like that, or if it'd be like at a... Like Walgreens or some shit, you know, like randomness they yeah. do. Yeah, I, I sent the link that I sent you and uh, to Christy, and she said that they're going to get it. So there you go, mm. Nightmare Toys. Well, we'll be there in a couple weeks, so maybe, maybe she'll have it by then, and we can be like eat some cereal. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be out in in April, so maybe, hell yeah, maybe that'll work out perfect. We can try. We cool. can try some uh, a box of uh, cereal. The Elvira cereal was black. Yeah. Like, I think it was, like, black in color. Or maybe it was... That was on the box, you know, but maybe it looked purple. I don't know. Well, so I'm just curious to see what that looks like, what it tastes like. Yeah. We'll like, have I wonder to, if they all had the same flavor. That would suck. Surely like they all, like, thought the about cinnamon, it more. You know, you know the old 80s uh, cinnamon <laughs> flavor? Yeah. You, in this fucking cereals that, like, like, a lot of them had. Well, hopefully it ain't that case and we get some good flavor cereal. Yeah, that's, that makes me curious now. Because what could you flavor? It'll probably be sugar, corn, fucking that's what it all is anyway. Yeah, it'll probably just be... I wonder if any of them have marshmallows in it. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I don't think they did. They, well, they, they said they got, even got like He-Man license and shit. Oh, and shit. All, I think it said also that each box will have a prize in it. So it'll be like the old school. Hell yeah. Yeah, so maybe we'll get lucky and... Uh... Christy will already have them when we go down there, and we can, like, like there's a bunch of them, so I'm not like, like we're going to buy all the, you know, different ones, but uh, maybe we can get at least one, you know, one a box of each and for me and you, and we could do a, wouldn't it be cool to do a taste test on the, <laughs> on the a podcast? Yeah, well, yeah, I've been trying to do gross taste tests with you for a while, but you won't do it. No, I'm not doing that now. I don't want to throw up. I hadn't threw up in years, so I'm not going to do it now. So this uh, throwback podcast is kind of going in in, uh, with the theme of Death House, because this is the first interview with uh, Harrison Smith, and it was a year ago. 
Was it a year ago? That's what it says on YouTube. It says it was a year ago, so. Huh. I don't know if that's accurate. I'd have to look at the actual date, but, yeah. Well, and uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Four Amino, uh, Vero, if you got that. I don't know how many people was using that. Yep, and then, uh, you know, we've got SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, uh, I think Podbean were on there, yeah, too. Yeah, Podbean, and then uh, Spurry Face Radio. And we're actually working on getting on Scream Radio. Um, Tracy from there is uh, you know, doing looking her. Looking into it. Yeah, looking into it. So hopefully we'll be on Scream Radio, too, which is featured on Horror Amino. Yeah, so... So hopefully big things coming soon. We got some kind of smelly situation coming up hopefully soon. Uh-huh. So, yep, got stuff in the work, guys. Yep, stuff in the works. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll be back officially yep. next week. And uh, yeah, oh, so away, away we, we go. go. Today we have with us Harrison Smith, writer director of Death House. Thank you for being here, Harrison. How are you today? I'm doing well, Johnny, and gentlemen, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for being a part of this. All right, so uh, Death House, the Expendables of Horror, is that, um, that's what everybody's calling it. Is that what you yourself would particularly call it, or is that something that somebody else come up with? Yeah, no, I would not call it that. Uh, that, that was dubbed by the media um, long before I came to the project. Uh, the project was brought to me by... Uh, Entertainment Factories, Rick Finkelstein and uh, Stephen Chase, and they brought the project to me. Uh, it was originally written by Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar had written a script that he was having um, some issues with and getting a lot of people attached to it. He admitted himself that he had issues with dialogue, things like that, and it needed a cleanup. So uh, basically what we had to do was you know, sit down and go through it, and uh, before I get to that part, it was you know, he was saying he wanted a lot of the horror people, a lot of the horror community in it, a lot of the icons. And so somebody along the line in the media quickly dubbed it the expendables of horror, but that's not what it is. I mean, it's funny. People will go, oh, does that mean then, like, Freddie will be fighting Jason or Michael Myers will be fighting Pinhead? No. I mean, in the expendables, was Dolph Lundgren, you know, Drago from Rocky Four was, uh, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, Cobra. I mean... No, why would people expect that? You know, they, they were all different characters. They were just all action stars all put together. So why do the horror people have to put their makeup on and become iconic characters again? And most of all, we could never afford that. So licensing alone would, would bankrupt them. So, um, no, I don't think it's the expendables of horror at all. I, I think it's more, like I've said, uh, it's more along the lines of it's a mad, 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 mad world where you just have a lot of horror cameos, but you also have you know, these great icons and some really new characters. And it's a fresh story. It's a damn good story. And uh, we got Gunner's blessing on that story before he died. I'm glad to get that cleared up because, you know, we've even called it that. And, you know, now that we know this, we won't do that. Uh, people were uh, commenting, asking about if Jason was in it and Leatherface and all this. And I'm like, no, well, I mean, nothing like that. Technically, Jason is in it. Yeah. I mean, it's Kane Hodder. Yeah. Uh, who played Jason, but it is not Jason Voorhees. And see, gentlemen, that's my whole point of this. I think horror has gotten into such a bad state of affairs that we have dumbed down the audience so much that this is what they expect. And most of all, they think 
think that this is high concept. Look, mashing up these monsters is really no different than Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. And although there's nothing wrong with that movie, and it's a classic, and it's a lot of people's favorite, the issue is, is um, you know, there's there's no need to be doing that. I, I personally, I, I just wrote um, a piece for my cinema articles that I publish on why it was a bad idea to mash up, you know, Freddy versus Jason, uh, because of the fact that the two worlds don't go together. Okay, they're they're two separate worlds. Jason is grounded in reality. I think for the most part. I mean, it's odd. Uh, again, Jason supposedly drowned when he was a, a very deformed and frail child and suddenly is able to return from the dead in the second picture of the gigantic hulking beast who really worked out, I guess, while <laughs> living at the bottom of Camp Crystal Lake. But, you know, we, 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 shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be expecting stupidity. And, and I'm going to say it. Those monster-type mashups, they're for the dumb. That's dumb. You know, there's, there's no need to do it. We don't need Pinhead fighting Michael Myers. It takes away from the mythos and everything that was great. And look, even we, we call Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein a classic now. But even in its day, I mean, Lou Costello himself rejected the script, and he was surprised at the film's popularity. I mean, he even said himself, you know, this is disrespectful to Bella Lugosi and, and all these guys that, you know, at one time were the, the icons of horror. Like, you know, they were, they were at the top of the, of, the, of the heap, and now they're being played for laughs. And so, no, I, I had no interest. I made it very clear uh, to Rick and Steve and Michael Eisenstadt and, and the group and even to Gunner. I, I made it very clear I have no interest whatsoever in any type of monster mashup or any type of gimmick movie such as The Expendables of Horror. Mm-hmm. And I know that may sound snobbish, uh, but I, I really think that horror needs to change up its game. And I also think that audiences need to change up their game too and expect more from their entertainment and that's why we're plagued with the rash number of um, you know sequels and reboots and remakes and reimaginations and you know whatever you want to call it did we need a poltergeist remake I mean really did we and what's wrong with the first one and I love when no. somebody will say oh well that movie's dated well of course they are jackass they're all the movie's age Star Wars is dated they talk about tapes you know, they talk about the data, the missing data tapes. Well, uh, you know, when I was before Windows and Bill Gates and Microsoft Digital Revolution, I mean, do we go back now? And, well, I guess George Lucas tried to go back and fix it. everything because, you know, it's like saying that the Mona Lisa is dated. <laughs> do we need to go back and repaint the Mona Lisa? Do we really? Yeah, I agree 100% because a lot of the movies that they're remaking, it's just not the same, like. You watch the older movie because of no. what it is, and then they ruin it, and it's just like money. That's it. they just want money. And like you were saying, putting monster well, mashups, putting people it's, together, it's, it's an just easy, money. It's an easy cash grab. Exactly. What it is. Exactly. And you know, look. I mean, the, the only thing that I'll say is, is Corey Feldman still to this day I think is a brilliant freaking idea. And that is, if you're gonna do something, do a spinoff to Friday the Thirteenth. And I think his idea of Tommy Jarvis versus Jason Voorhees is platinum. I think you can make a TV series out of that, where, you know, because uh, Corey, if you arguably, out of the Friday the 13th franchise, aside from Pamela Voorhees and aside from Jason Voorhees, Tommy Jarvis is the only memorable human character in the whole film, other than Crazy Ralph, I guess, if you want to say that. But, I mean, ask anybody to remember any of the names of any of those teen victims throughout the entire franchise. 
it's, it always comes back to Corey Feldman. Now, other actors have played Tommy Jarvis, but it's Corey that everybody responds to. And I know that there's some underground, uh, like, graphic novel um, that portrays this type of situation. And why New Line Cinema has not jumped on this and, and tried to turn this into a cash cow is beyond me because I think the idea is gold. It would be perfect. And back to Death House, like, like you said, not wanting to be just a bunch of, you know, different horror film characters because the actors were in them. I even had a guy, I overheard him talking about it, you know, just so happened to hear him talk about Death House. He's like, oh, I was hoping, like Jim Jam was saying, I was hoping that they'd bring their characters into it and they would fight, but they don't make any sense. So, and so I'm really glad that you're trying to do something original, like, and, and make it a, would you consider it a slasher film or like a, like a psychological, you know, no, Death House, look, we have plenty of blood and gore in Death House. I'm going to tell you that right now. And we have a practical effects scene that I'm going to say it right here on record. Rivals the chestburster scene in the original Alien. Oh, That's man. how good this effect is. <laughs> so we have plenty crazy. of blood. We have plenty of blood and gore. And we have plenty of action. And we have plenty of violence. But we also have a goddamn good story on top of it, too, that mixes in uh, some science fiction that mixes in, you know, some really good, solid drama. And, and most of all, we're expecting our fans to know more about horror. Horror is more than Friday the 13th or the latest reboot of Halloween. You know, like, and, and for fans to go, well, I've seen every Friday the 13th, big freaking deal. So what? That doesn't make you a horror fan. It makes you a follower, but it doesn't make you a fan. <laughs> like, you should know your horror. You should know your horror all the way back to the silent era. If there's anybody listening to this podcast, that doesn't know who Count Orlock is or can't tell you uh, who Bella Lugosi was, they're not a horror fan. They're not. And that's, that's how it works. You know, like, you need to know the history of the genre, why things happen. It's kind of like, you know, the remake of Fright Night. Yes, I know Anton Yelchik died. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the remake made no sense because it wasn't needed. The remake had nothing to say. I'm not saying it was a bad film. I'm not saying that it was terribly made. What I'm saying is the original 1985 Fright Night was kind of like mourning um, an era of Hollywood that was disappearing. You know, the old vampire film and all the, the tropes that went with it. Like, kids watch it now and they go, well, I don't get it. Like, that, that's stupid. Like, they don't even understand the play on words of Peter Vincent. You know, they don't get it. And in, in the remake of Fright Night, Peter Vincent is some David Blaine, Siegfried and Roy guy. What did that have to do with anything? And in the original, he's an old, broken-down horror host. You know, that's what he is. And he, you know, was losing his career. And and he, it was a, it was an era of filmmaking that was passing by. That's what Tom Holland was commenting on. So you lose all the subtext of remaking Fright Night because the remake has absolutely nothing to say. It's well made. It's got some great effects. Colin Farrell did a nice job. Delchick did a nice job. It just has nothing to say. That's very understandable. I mean, it had nothing to add to the story, so yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Right, it had nothing to bring. So Death House, like, getting okay. all of those actors together, you know, like you said, the horror icons together, what was that like? How was that directing them? And It was great. It was really great. These were some of the nicest people, and I know, look, you know, in these interviews, you're always supposed to just say nice things. I mean, I mean it. I'm being absolutely genuine. Talk about some of the most generous, nicest people 
you could work with Bill Mosley, Kane Hodder, Debbie Rashawn, I mean, Barbara Crampton, all these people, Dee Wallace. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to deliberately leave anyone out. They were the nicest people, and they were there for all the right reasons. And everybody kept saying all the time, this is for you, Gunner. You know, this is for you. You know, they, they were mourning one of theirs that they lost. And the genre, you know, let's face it, when these, these people go to conventions, you know, people come up to them, and, and one of the things, they, more than just saying, oh, I'm a fan, they always tell them, oh, I was 13, the 13th. Oh, I was 12 years old when I, I remember right where I was when I saw, you know, this for the first time. And that's important. And that's, that's why these people endure. And I think that's important. So working with these people um, and gathering them all together, I think it was not just a humbling experience, but it was something pretty special. I got to watch Bill Mosley, Michael Berryman, and Kane Hodder do the Three Stooges. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. They all did it. That's and I turned I turned to my first assistant director and I said, We're seeing something pretty damn cool here. And he said, Yeah, I know it. That'd be awesome. We got the chance to meet uh Michael Berryman and Sid Haig at the Nashville uh tattoo and horror festival here local and Michael Berryman he is a really nice guy. Really oh, he's nice. He's a gentleman. And he's, yes. and he's got a great sense of humor. And and most of all, he's just so damn smart, you know, like, he knows so much about so much, and I could just sit and listen to Michael talk for hours, and, and you know, the same thing with Sid Haig, like, I, I got to work with Sid Haig for a day, and, you know, I, I, I just, between takes, I just wanted to listen to him, you know what I mean, I, I just wanted to, to hear what he had to say, Oh you yeah. Know, he's such a smart man, and he's seen so much. For sure, that's a, that's what uh, when we were talking to Michael, it's just like sit back and listen, like it just to hear what Absolutely. he has to say, and just it's just it, it it was really amazing just to hear everything that he like you said he knows so much, and it, it's just awesome to be you know to get to meet these people and be around them, and yet you got to be around all of them you know for one film, which you know is freaking badass actually. I want to say you're very lucky for that, <laughs> you know. Well. I think you're lucky. With and that. I know I'm very lucky, gentlemen. Not everybody gets to, to go to work every day and work with the people that you grew up watching in the movies, you know? Oh, yeah. Not everybody gets to do that. Most people go to their jobs, they sit at their cubicles, they do their data entry, they do what they do, and they, they live for the weekend, and they're two to four weeks off for vacation, and, and that's what they do. With me, like, I get to do all these things, and I get to make nightmares and scary stuff and I eventually want to do comedy and some fun stuff but I know that this could disappear at any time but this is what I wanted to do since I was 10 years old so how many people I mean when you read your yearbook go back to your high school yearbooks how many of those people that said oh I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that actually went ahead and did it uh, not many <laughs> I know I wanted to do a lot of things but right. wasn't even expected to be doing this so you know and which this is something I do love to do. Well, and life life has an interesting way life has an interesting way of taking us down certain roads. You know, I mean, it, it took me a while to get where I wanted to be, from being ten years old and making movies to, you know, the age I'm at now to, to making them. Um, you know, it, it was quite a road to get there, and, and a lot of sacrifices made as well. Because in the end, as we know, it, it really does come down to sacrifice. Are you are you willing to give up certain things to? to go for your dream. That's true. Totally true. Yes. With what we're doing, we sacrifice a lot. So it, it's definitely true. And 
So, what was the film that got you wanting to direct, though? Like, you're 10 years old, and you're like, I want to make films. Well, I can tell you, I was 8 years old, and it was uh, Jaws. It was the original Jaws. Uh, My mother yeah. took me to see oh, it in 1975 in the theaters. And I know I've had people go, your mother took you to see Jaws <laughs> when you were only 8? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because Jaws was X-rated for anybody over 30. Wow. <laughs> you know? So um, when I left that theater, I knew. I said to my mom, and it's not a made-up story. I mean, I said to my mom, I want to make movies. That's what I want to do because I saw that audience, you know, reacting and screaming and yelling and, you know, doing all the all the right things, you know. And I thought, wow, one movie made people do that. That's amazing. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I'm hoping out of Death House. Like, you know, you get that. Like, you know, you get that intense fear and that, you know, build up and just the feel that, that fright and just that emotional feeling when you get into it. With Death House, you're, you're going to get a lot of stuff. I mean, you're going to get, like I said, you're going to get your blood and gore. You're going to get your nudity. You're going you're gonna to get all those things. They're all there and in lots and lots of heat. Okay? So it's not like you have to, I mean, in the first five minutes of the film, we have, you know, Tony Todd does something that, as far as I know, was never done in horror before. And so we keep things moving, but at the same time, you find yourself going into what Gunner really wanted, and that is, you know, questioning what is true good, what is true evil, you know, and, and, and how have these concepts been distorted? And most of all, what is technology's role in all of this now? You know, what, can we eradicate evil? Can evil be deprogrammed? So we kind of go back a little bit to, you know, a clockwork orange. You know, we kind of go back to that. So there's there's some definite science fiction in this. There's action. There's suspense. There's and there's outright horror. You know, and that's what we want. I mean, the, the first half of the film is all the setup, and it's very much like Jurassic Park. And when you guys were saying about the Expendables of horror, this is basically Jurassic Park without the dinosaurs. Is what it is. Oh, the ride breaks yeah. down, and the monsters get out. Except in this case, <laughs> it's the people who are monsters. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean. We're definitely looking forward to it. It, it. Like I said, we hear people talking about it. So, Are y'all in post-production right now? Yes. The film, um, the trailer has just gone now to the visual effects artist and also over to the sound designer and the composer. And then um, the, the feature film itself is edited together. It is put together. We're about to do a picture lock on it. My editor, as a matter of fact, is going through it right now this week, making all final adjustments, making sure cuts match up, continuity is is proper, you know, all those things as well, too. So we're, we're you know, in, in, in other words, the film is edited and together, and our producer, Rick Finkelstein, has watched it, and he is nuts about it. And he's watched it without all the effects. There are no effects in this, no color correction, no sound effects, no music, nothing. And he said, he goes, we have ourselves a winner. <laughs> That's awesome. I know it's big, too, because we was able to get, I guess, someone sent us, uh, from y'all sent us the, uh, teaser trailer and we put it on our YouTube channel and it already yeah. had I looked before we talked to you it's already got 555 views and I'm sure you know there's other places well, that's, that's got it too so yeah everybody is definitely excited about this yeah. movie and let me tell you some gentlemen to your audience we deliver I mean when we say Kane Hodder is in it Kane Hodder isn't in it for 30 seconds Kane is like one of the major stars of this movie 
and it, it is just his performance is, is fantastic. I mean, you're going to have to look for Easter eggs that we have planted all over the place in this movie. And most of all, it's still not a gimmick motion picture. That's the best part. It's not a gimmick. You know, this is a solid, fresh new story that's going to hopefully spin off into five sequels. And most of all, it's written well, it's acted well, and we're not insulting our horror audience. That's the important part. We're not insulting people's intelligence. That's why my message to all the horror audience out there is step up your game. Stop asking for, oh, we need better horror, and then going out and watching the latest reboot of, of Halloween. No, you step up your game. Go out and learn more than Friday the 13th. Go out and learn more than Halloween. Go out and learn more than just the usual stuff. Understand why, you know, for example, understand why Fright Night is what it is, you know? Understand why, you know, um, for example, I had somebody watching the original 1985 Fright Night and said, I don't understand. Why, why does the girl's hair get long when she becomes a vampire? I don't get it. Well, because you never watched a freaking Hammer movie your entire life. That's why. Because if you watched Hammer movies, you understood that they, most of the vampire films with Christopher Lee took place during the sexually repressed 1800s when women were sexually repressed and they lived in this Victorian atmosphere where they were, you know, their, their clothing was tight, they didn't show their breasts, and then as soon as the vampire gets them, he unleashes, you know, loosens up their, their sexual inhibitions, and boom, that suddenly, yes, the hair is suddenly sultry and long. Yes, it's a trope, but it works. And that was what Tom Holland was so lovingly pointing out in, this, in his film. And, and you show it to a modern audience now that only knows, uh, you know, torture porn, the human centipede, whatever, and they go, I don't get it. And that's the, the real big thing, gentlemen. There's a, um, an element of fun that's missing from horror. Horror can be fun without it being satire and stupid. You know, you can have fun with horror. And, and that's why I love even Fright Night's tagline. If you love being scared then this, is, this will be the night of your life. And that's what we want to do with this. I'd love to see Death House playing on college campuses at midnight, you know, with, with a bunch of college kids hooting and hollering and screaming back at the screen. And, you know, especially when that one practical effect comes up and, and, and it comes backed up with another one. Within 30 seconds, you have another, whoa, get the hell out special effect, you know. I want to hear people cheering and, and throwing popcorn in the air and, and going, holy shit, was that fun. That's what I want. I think that's what everybody strives to want, though. Yeah. I mean, because that's what I want out of horror. Like, like you said, the I I couldn't get into all the just the ridiculous horror movies, you know, just over the top, just constantly. You know, I mean, you can figure out how to kill people in many different ways, like the human centipede too. Like you're saying, I just I well, couldn't get into any did. of that. We did that with Camp Dread. I wanted Camp Dread to be fun. And the killing that we have at the end has never been put on film before. And we wanted to, to, you know, throw a send-up to the summer camp movie without it being a satire. And we did that. Camp Dread is smart. And it's a lot of fun. You know, there's there's a little bit of a mystery to figure out here. Is Eric Roberts the bad guy? Is Daniel Harris involved in this? Or who's, who's doing the killing? We don't know. And then those last 30 seconds, which is also a nice tip of the hat to Psycho 2... Um, I, I think we have our answer. And and it's it's also a great social commentary. But, you know, you get some people going, oh, there weren't enough boobs, there wasn't enough blood. Oh, you know God. what, you're not a horror fan. <laughs> yeah. You think you are, but you're not. So I don't care if you liked it or not. <laughs> That's fun. Not enough boobs. That, that, that don't make a horror film. But I guess for some people now that does. And 
you know, you got to have the nudity, you got to have this or that to people. Because like you said, it's always been the same thing over and over and over. And nothing's new coming out. Right. Well, and that's why Eli Roth said it. He said, oh, you know, horror fans complain they want something new. And then you go and give them something new and they go, well, it's not like the Evil Dead. And I thought Roth's reply was perfect. And he said, yeah, because it's the Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, nothing will ever be like the Evil Dead because it's the Evil Dead. So when you get these people constantly going back and forth, oh, we want something new. Then you give them something new. Oh, well, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, our one editor on Death House, he asked me a question, and I, I wrote about this, and I'm not giving away any spoilers whatsoever. Um, Kane Hodder's character, Sieg, in the film has the power to regenerate, which is the tip of the hat, of course, to Jason Voorhees. So he has the power, you shoot him, his bullet wound will heal up, that kind of thing. And he says to me, as they're editing the film, and we got through the first cut, and he said, you don't really explain how Kane Hodder can just regenerate the way that he does. And I said, well, you know, I mean, we do. We, we talk about, I can't give away certain things here, but the answer is, is yes, we, we do actually give you some, some pretty strong clues as to how he is able to do this, this supernatural ability. Anyway, I said to this guy, I said, now, how old are you? He goes, well, I'm 26. And I said, okay, have you seen any of the Friday the 13th movies? He goes, well, I've seen them all. And I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, I, I think they're all awesome. I own every single one of them. They all sit on my shelf. And I said, did you ever stop and ask once how Jason Voorhees keeps coming back from the dead? I mean, didn't Corey Feldman chop his goddamn head off in part four? And how did his head get back on his shoulders in part six? And, oh, because lightning struck him? So that somehow attaches his head? And he goes, well, and I said, no, no, no. Did you ever ask how you can shoot him? And didn't the FBI blow him up and Jason goes to hell? And he still keeps coming back. And I said, so let me get this straight. When Kane Hodder wears a mask, there are no questions. But when Kane Hodder is out of a mask, you have questions. And he said, I never really thought of it that way. And I said, now you have something new to think about. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, that's the whole thing. With all the Jason, it's just, it's a movie. You you don't need to ask why he come back alive. It's a movie. He come back alive because he's back alive. Gentlemen, you, you you, you go to Star Wars, Spaceships don't explode in space. They don't make sounds. Okay? Yeah. Right? That's and, true. And, you know, we can go further. Air tanks, air tanks don't explode in sharks' mouths. And yep. it was a long shot at best for Brody even getting even close to hitting that shark even in the freaking nose with that gun at the distance that thing was submerged underwater and closing in on him at at least 20 miles an hour. So, but we sit there and we go, Spielberg said it best. Look, if I had these people for the last two hours, they'll buy anything. And that's what we're doing. You know? We don't have to, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. If you go to my cinema article, I have a, a piece called Spoon Said Horror. Do we have to, I mean, do we have to explain why Michael Myers doesn't die? I mean, do we really have to explain that? I mean, okay, yes, he's evil. I think that's enough, right? Dr. Loomis said he's evil. Okay, I'm willing to accept that. There's my answer. I mean, do we have to now do like a, a stupid Phantom Menace midichlorian thing and explain his genetic disposition and show how his cells heal up or some supernatural power gave him the ability to regenerate his cells? I mean, because we came close to that with Rob Zombie's remake because, you know, he's evil and can regenerate because his parents were shitty to him, right? I mean, do we even need a backstory to Michael Myers? 
Why do we need that? How about he was just bad? You know, it's like a tornado that will hit your house, but not your neighbor's. Sometimes bad things happen randomly to people, and there is no explanation. We search for one, but it doesn't mean that there is one. And that's where I think the genre has fallen apart, because now we have to explain everything to the audience. Everything must be explained. How about you just sit back and enjoy the damn movie, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, now we have a new Friday the 13th with an origin story. Do we need an origin story? Do we need to know how Pamela Voorhees met Silas Voorhees and... Was there some type of supernatural, you know, I, I don't know. And here's the bottom line. I don't freaking care. The fun of Friday the 13th for me as a kid was going to the movies. I was 14 years old, and I got to see boobs and some girls in some hot underwear, and I got to see a monster kill people, and I got my popcorn's worth. That's what, that's what it was about. I didn't care where Jason came from. And in part two, I didn't even think, well, wait a minute, he drowned. How could he be back to, all right, they say he's back to life. the same way yeah i mean I, right. I was younger when it come out but just being at a friend's house and being able to watch it on tv you know after it come on and you know years later and just like booms <laughs> yeah you know and seeing the slasher because a friend of mine he, you know at 13 14 years right. old you know I mean, you're just like hell yeah I saw the remake of Friday the Thirteenth Theater. As soon as it come on, boom, there's a sex scene. Like the first scene in the movie was a sex scene. Yep. I was like, well, they're giving people right right, right at the get go. Just what they it, want. As a little kid runs by me, I'm like, wow, who brought that kid? Right. And and you know you gotta also understand certain movies were made like you know I, I know a lot of people ruminated on the fact that you know the the, the remake of Friday the Thirteenth didn't do as well as they hoped. Well, you're taking that entire type of movie out of its historical context. The original Friday the 13th came right at a time when America politically was moving from very liberal to very conservative with the Reagan administration, and the 50s were back, and people were nostalgic for the 50s. You had Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, and everybody wanted to go back to Greece. It was all back to a simpler time. So you have this really weird kind of morality of, you know, have sex, and die. Premature sex and die. Sex without marriage, you die. And so we accepted the deaths of these kids because, well, they're bad kids, right? They're fucking around in the camp and that's the Getting drunk in the woods. And even Mrs. Voorhees says that personally. Her son wouldn't have drowned if the counselors weren't having sex. So there was this really weird kind of conservative and yet liberal kind of idea in Hollywood, and the film worked in that context in the 80s. But you notice the series started to wane by the end of the 80s because, again, things were shifting. We were moving into a different direction. And then the Iraq War came along. You know, the first Gulf War came along, and things were changing. And suddenly Jason Voorhees just wasn't so scary anymore. And that's because, you know, things changed. Just as Frankenstein wore out his appeal, or the Frankenstein monster, or the werewolf, you know, they, they wore out. You know, Jaws right now, I don't know, are sharks scary anymore? I mean, we just had an alligator eat somebody at Disney World. I mean, you know, I mean, what's scary anymore now? I mean, great white sharks, I mean, now more people are worried about protecting them, which is great, 
because Jaws did a lot of damage to them environmentally. And now with, you know, being an educated audience, we understand the great whites really aren't man-eaters. They, they eat people accidentally most of the time because they think the surfers are seals. So we really have kind of defanged our villain with that. I don't really think we need another shark movie. Will the shallows do well? I don't know. The preview looks pretty good. And, hey, you got my money. I'll see Blake Lively in a bikini any day. So fine. You know? But is it going to be the definitive shark movie? I think Spielberg already made it at a very different yeah. time because Jaws wasn't a horror movie. Jaws is an economic movie. Built the same way that bringing another, trying to bring out another shark movie, but you already have the shark movie that you, and it's just right. rough to get. To bring this, it's just like, eh, eh, I don't know. I'm we, sure the shallow, look, I'm sure the shallows is good. I'm sure that it's made well. I'm not bashing it. I'm not bashing it at all. But what I'm saying is, Jaws was good because it came right out of the Watergate era. Nixon had just resigned, okay? And people didn't trust their government. And really, who's the villain in Jaws? It isn't the shark. The villain in Jaws is the mayor and the government, the local government, who won't shut the beaches down. They're doing a cover-up, just like Watergate. <laughs> mayor Vaughn is really Richard Nixon, right? That's what he is. He might as well did the V for Victory Flash when the tiger shark is hung up on the dock. It might as well have been that, you know? Mm. I am not a crook. Like, that was, Mayor Vaughn was Richard Nixon, and people identified. They're going for Brody, the everyman guy. The guy that's going to fight the system, you know? And he did. But the real villain in the movie is Mayor Larry Vaughn, not the shark. The shark's doing what sharks do. They eat. You don't want to get eaten, don't go in the water. <laughs> so true. Yeah, very true. Is there anything you want to add, or... <laughs> What I want to add is, is um, I'm very grateful uh, to our investors. I'm very grateful to Rick and Steve of Entertainment Factory for keeping the dream alive. And most of all, I, I will end it with this. Gunner does make a cameo. Death House is Gunner's true last film appearance. And uh, oh, wow. we're very proud of that. And I think Gunner would be very, very proud of what we did. Um, like I said, I spoke with him not long before his death, and he said, Harrison, do whatever you have to to get your script made. I'm happy with what you did. You have my blessing. And he said, if you have to get publicity, shoot a commercial on my grave. That's what he said. Wow. Wow. Can you give That's an ex- the kind of guy he was. He was. He was a gentleman. Can you give it an expected release date, or is that... Um, I, I can't because it's going to depend on the distributor. I can always project, and then the distributor is going to say, well, we're really going to release it this way, or we're going to release it this day. That's what they'll do. All right, well, you know, we're just trying to get some extra stuff. <laughs> what about uh, the trailer? Do you have a release date on the trailer? We're expecting a release date. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a release date on the trailer sometime after July 4th weekend. All right, cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to that. The teaser, teaser trailer looked good, so yeah, definitely looking forward to the trailer. I think a lot of other people are looking forward to it, too. Harrison, we appreciate you being here and talking to us. and It's a great conversation, and your knowledge is beyond. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you definitely uh, schooled us. On well, thank things. you. I mean, hopefully it's a message then to your viewers that I, I know my shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just talking the talk. Look, I know my horror. I've watched it since I was a boy, and I've watched it all. You know, like, I've watched all kinds. Um, whether it's zombie movies, vampire movies, monster movies, Godzilla. I mean, that's what you should know. You should know as much about everything as you possibly can. And horror is more than Friday the 13th and, and Michael Myers. That's how I feel. That's definitely true, though. It's, it's 
a lot more to it than that. We really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're definitely busy right now. Yep, we definitely are, but I really appreciate it, and most of all, I appreciate the support from your podcast and your listeners. Thank you, sir, and uh, you have a good day. You too, gentlemen. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys, that was Harrison Smith, writer-director of Death House. Man, what an amazing dude. Like, just to be able to talk to him and get all of his knowledge. I guess that's all we got for today. Yep, that's all we got from Jim uh, Jam here. We out. Hey. Share and subscribe, guys.